It's Friday, the 20th of December, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Canada selects its most prominent person for 2019. Can you guess who it is? Hint, it's not Justin Trudeau. Plus, Andrew Muller wraps up a week that saw Donald Trump impeached and a Christmas market in Croatia barred from competing for the title of world's best. And our senior editor, Robert Bound, looks at why Britain's parliament is grappling with quite an unexpected wig reveal. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. To Canada first, where the nation has just selected its most prominent person of the year, and not without controversy. Justin Trudeau may have been returned to power by Canada's electorate this year, but the annual crowning of the country's most notable newsmaker has taken a more divisive turn. This week, the Canadian press, Canada's national newswire, named Jody Wilson-Raybould, Canada's former Attorney General, as 2019's most prominent person. It was her role in the so-called SNC-Lavalin scandal, in which Trudeau was accused of pressuring Wilson-Raybould to sway the legal process in favour of SNC-Lavalin, a major Quebec-based engineering firm that had been charged with corruption in Libya, that made her a heroine to some and a less saintly figure to others. The award's timing is all the more uncomfortable for Trudeau as SNC-Lavalin this week was found guilty of fraud and fined 280 million Canadian dollars. It's unlikely, however, that these developments will come to haunt Trudeau anew. Most Canadian voters, according to recent polling, are more concerned with how he intends to govern now, in his second term, than they are with the ghosts of his term past. Well, as we wrap up another week and almost another year, let's turn now to Andrew Muller for a look at what we've learned from the news headlines. We learned this week that US President Donald Trump will react to the odium of impeachment with all the stoic, self-effacing dignity that has characterised his time in the White House. You know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes. Uh, blood coming out of her wherever. Trump became the third president in American history to be impeached by the House of Representatives, joining Andrew Johnson in 1868 and Bill Clinton in 1998. Whether or not Trump goes one better and gets evicted from the White House now depends on the Senate, where Trump should be pretty safe, at least if Republican senators prove as awesomely unembarrassable as Republican Congressman Barry Loudermilk. When Jesus was falsely accused of treason, Pontius Pilate gave Jesus the opportunity to face his accusers. There are, of course, several key differences between Donald J. Trump and Jesus H. Christ, but one of the more important in this context is that Jesus turned up for the inquiry. It really is hard to know what to say to the voters of Georgia's 11th Congressional District who sent Congressman Loudermilk to Washington beyond, seriously, I mean, come on. We, the we being everybody but Donald Trump, also learned that there is someone suffering a rather greater degree of what Trump might term presidential harassment than Trump himself. Former Pakistani President Pervez Musharraf was sentenced to actual death by a court in Islamabad. Musharraf wisely excused himself beyond the reach of extradition treaties to Dubai some while ago, but it is nevertheless an end to a political career brutal even by 
the formidable standards of Pakistani politics. Here's Christina Lam on Wednesday's Globalist. I think this is really significant because in some ways you could say, well, he's not in the country. This sentence is never going to be carried out. Does it really mean anything? But I mean, this is the first time that uh, an army chief has been charged with such a crime and ruled against. And the army in Pakistan is incredibly powerful. They've either run the country or, or they behind the scenes have very much uh, running things. Australians learned the hard way that there may be something to this climate change thing, despite the equivocations on the subject of Prime Minister and coal enthusiast Scott Morrison. Australia, already known as one of the world's more temperate countries, posted the two hottest days in its history. Tuesday's average of 40.9 degrees Celsius, surmounted by Wednesday's 41.9 degrees. Rare dispensation was granted to Australians to remark to each other that the weather was warmish and remove their overcoats. Scott Morrison himself displayed his characteristic leadership on the issue and went on holiday to Hawaii. A shout out at this point to Sydney clothier Mr Coyer, which is now selling a Hawaiian shirt emblazoned with Morrison's face and donating the profits to Australia's presently overworked volunteer firefighters. We learned for very far from the first time that for an organisation which wields unchallenged control over about a fifth of the world's population, the Chinese Communist Party can be remarkably touchy. This week, the CCP took severe umbrage with Arsenal Football Club after the Gunners' German midfielder Mesut Ozil made some remarks about China's oppression of its Uyghur people. Demonstrating China's customary sense of proportion in such circumstances, CCTV pulled Arsenal's game against Manchester City from its broadcast schedules, although it would have served as a much stiffer punishment of Arsenal if they'd shown the thing and repeated it several times a day for the next few decades, especially the first half, in which Arsenal appeared to be enacting a live-action metaphor for the career of their most famous fan, Jeremy Corbyn. Here's Brian Klaas on Monday's briefing. If we can't call out the detention of over a million people for their religion in China, in, in, in places like uh, you know in Xinjiang and, and the Uyghur Muslim minority, if we can't back, for example, the Hong Kong protests in favor of democracy as the NBA general manager of the Houston Rockets did and faced huge backlash, What's the point? I mean, this is what we're, this is what our countries are supposed to stand for globally. We learned that the parliament of Kyrgyzstan is presently debating a bill which would criminalise any and all disrespect of a particular variety of hat. The locally traditional titfa in question is called the kalpak and is made from felt and usually white with black trim and motifs. The Kalpak's protection is being considered by Kyrgyz lawmakers in the context of the country's ongoing attempts to come to terms with a scandal which erupted in 2017, when a photograph circulated online of a Kalpak being worn by a dog in Bishkek. And we learned this because the Kalpak is among the items enshrined on UNESCO's latest intangible cultural heritage list. This may, of course, result in an onerous surge in demand for Kyrgyzstan's already frantic Kalpak makers. Indeed, who wants to be a milliner? <laughs>
Merry Christmas to you as well. On which subject, we learned that the estimable Christmas market of Zagreb will not be permitted to extend its three-year reign as the best Christmas market in Europe, as voted for by the kind of people who vote for this kind of thing. Here is Monocle's Balkans correspondent Guy Delaunay reporting with appropriate gravity at stark odds with his silly jumper with snowmen on it on this egregious thwarting of democracy on Thursday's briefing. And to give you an example of how important this is, this isn't just saying, yeah, we've got more lights than you have. This is, we're attracting more visitors than you are. So last year, for example, uh, Zagreb registered an increase of 10% in the numbers of arrivals and 15% in overnight stays. The tourist board says there are 122,000 arrivals and 231,000 odd overnight stays. It's the biggest tourist event of the year in Zagreb. And of course, you know, in some places, their tourism season, and especially in Croatia, where much of it is focused around the coast, um, December is, is, is fairly quiet time of year. Zagreb's done very well in making sure that people are still coming to Croatia, even when the, the, the sun is very far away and the sea isn't really what you want to be diving into. And we learned that any dreams as might have been entertained by the non-existent citizens of the imaginary nation of Wakanda of a beneficial trade deal with the United States have been shattered. It was noted that Wakanda, an invention of Marvel Comics, home of Black Panther, was included as a placeholder joke on the tariff tracker on the website of the US Department of Agriculture. Wakanda has now been removed, which does at least reduce the chances of Donald Trump ordering airstrikes against it. With that very possibly shortly regrettable tempting of fate, for Monocle 24, I'm Andrew Muller. And finally today, our senior editor Robert Bound looks at why the new Speaker of Britain's Parliament is struggling to keep his hair on. My Lords and Members of the House of Commons, my government's priority is to deliver the United Kingdom... Yesterday in Westminster, pageantry was the order of the day as the Queen performed the ceremonial state opening of Parliament, a piece of political theatre at which the monarch sets out the UK government's plans. It's a good sort of gaudy. Thrones, frock coats, gold braid and sashes, epaulettes and plumes, fluffy ruffs, court shoes, stockings and wigs. And that's just the men. In fact, it's mainly the men. Pity the dull accountability of a republic. But there was one hairpiece less than there should have been. The new Speaker of the House of Commons, that vital parliamentary umpire who invites members to speak and propose legislation, couldn't find his wig. Apparently, the Speaker's rug was last seen 20 years ago, before major refurbishment work at the Palace of Westminster, and has recently been shunned by a succession of Speakers. The last incumbent, John Burko, recently seen shouting his catchphrase, Order! on an Italian chat show, opted not to wear the wig, feeling that doing without made Parliament appear marginally less stuffy and forbidding in his own words. The new Speaker, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, fancies cutting a bit of 18th century dash, but his cupboard was bare. Should Sir Lindsay wear the wig? What signal does wig wearing send out? Can democracy survive? Well, in short form, the answers to the above are A, yes, definitely, B, cut and dried legal correctitude with a side order of camp, and C, we live in fear. For some reason, there doesn't seem to be a backup wig. Democracy really is broken. For Monocle, I'm Robert Bound. That's our programme for today and for 2019. Thank you to all our editors and correspondents and contributors who make each programme possible. And to you, our listeners, for tuning in. I'm Ben Rylan. Have a very happy Christmas. The Monocle Minute returns in 2020.